You are listening to the audio podcast of the weekly message preached at Central United Methodist Church in Arlington, Virginia. You're invited to worship with us in person on Saturdays at 4.30 p.m. or virtually through Zoom or Facebook on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. Visit us at www.cumcballston.org. There you can learn more about our congregation and how we worship God, serve others, and embrace all. Our scripture reading is taken from Mark chapter 8, verses 31 to 38 from the Common English Bible. Then Jesus began to teach his disciples, The human one must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and the legal experts, and be killed, and then after three days rise from the dead. He said this plainly, But Peter took hold of Jesus and, scalding him, began to correct him. Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, then sternly corrected Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You are not thinking God's thoughts, but human thoughts. After calling the crowd together with his disciples, Jesus said to them, All who want to come after me must say no to themselves. Take up their cross and follow me. All who want to save their lives will lose them. But all who lose their lives because of me and because of the good news will save them. Why would people gain the whole world but lose their lives? What will people give in exchange for their lives? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this unfaithful and sinful generation, the human one will be ashamed of that person when he comes in the Father's glory with the holy angels. The word of God for the people of God. Oh, that's scripture, y'all. That is, that, is some, that is some scripture right there, isn't it? So when Sarah asked if I could come and preach here a few weeks ago, she gave me the choice of last week or this week. And looking at the text, I was trying to figure out how to make sure that I did not have to be here to preach this text to you all today. Um, unfortunately, I was at a conference that had been planned in Orlando for a really long time, and I couldn't be here to preach on Jesus's baptism, which is a such a wonderful, lovely, great text. Instead, I've got Satan. Yay. Here we are, right? We're looking at this text where Peter gets a little uncomfortable about things, and then Jesus rebukes him. Uh, The common English translation here uh, says, um, talks to him strongly, right? But rebukes him. And then Jesus uses the language that I think for most of us probably feels like some of the strongest language he could possibly use. But if we're telling the story about Peter, and we are, and and I think it's a pretty good story to tell during Lent anyway, so good on the lectionary for making those choices. But the truth of this story is that the truth of Peter, Peter, right, the rock on whom Jesus says he will build his church, 
right? Peter has a lot of moments of doubt and questioning and being a little uncomfortable and being really uncomfortable with the things Jesus is saying and doing and just being. If we met Peter in 2024, we might say that Peter has some sort of generalized anxiety disorder and and someone with that kind of anxiety doesn't often do particularly well in, in situations where things are more than just a little unsettled. And you know what? Jesus is really about unsettling things, right? Jesus's work is that unsettling kind of work. And just when Peter thinks that he gets into some kind of rhythm with this teacher who he loves, oh, he loves Jesus so much, Jesus always ends up saying or doing or being something that knocks Peter out of that rhythm and and leaves him reeling a little I mean, consider today's text in light of, of where it falls in the book of Mark. Jesus heals a whole bunch of people, right? We see that happen, and Peter watches him. Uh, Jesus feeds 4,000 people, and Peter is astounded. Jesus heals a man at Bethsaida, and Peter feels like he really gets it now. Jesus asks the disciples who they think he is. And Peter responds with confidence, with with enthusiasm, with, with gusto. You are the Messiah. And you know, that means something. To Peter, it, it hits a little different in the first century Roman Empire than it means to those of us who have the benefit of almost 2,000 years of, of knowing the whole story. You see, in the tradition of the first century, the Messiah, the Messiah is the one who is coming to vanquish the enemy. The Messiah is a, a divine being who is a powerful military leader capable of overthrowing governments, of, of righting wrongs, of, of restoring Israel to the seat of power. And if you're a poor Jewish person living right in the middle of an oppressive regime, that understanding of the Messiah feels like living water to a, a parched soul. And Peter, Peter's found that living water. He knows that he's found that living water. Jesus has even said he is that living water. And this feels so, so good to Peter, the anxious one. And then Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, starts talking about his death about how he has to die. He has to be rejected by the leaders of the faith and by the government. And Peter just, Peter can't handle it. And he pulls Jesus aside and says, Jesus, you can't talk like this. You are the Messiah. And Jesus does this thing where he looks at Peter and he says loudly and simply, so the entire room can hear him. He says sharply, get behind me, Satan. He calls Peter, Peter the rock, Satan. 
And oh my gosh, can you imagine that scene? Can, can you imagine Peter's face? What, what Peter's feeling, the embarrassment he feels inside of him, the shame maybe even. Can you imagine the faces of the disciples around them in that moment? Brian Bantam wrote this really amazing book called The Death of Race. It's a really good book, and I commend it to you for a variety of reasons, but, but the content of, my, of the book isn't really the point of, of my sermon here today. But in chapter 7, Bantam directs our gaze to Peter. Peter is a fisherman by trade. It's a really hard job. Peter's entire existence requires him to be good at what he does. But the thing is about fishing is that you can be really, really good at fishing things and still not catch any fish. You can really take care of your equipment. You can keep your nets mended and and untangled. You can be insanely patient. Your boat could be the cleanest boat out there, right? You could even know where all the fish are and know exactly where to put your nets. And, And when you put those nets down, when you drop them into the water, the fish can still just swim around them. Fishing's funny like that. It's also why I don't generally like to fish. And then when Peter is able to catch enough fish, Bantam tells us the little bit of money that he's able to make as a fisherman is split between him and the tax collector. The tax collector's bit, the bit he takes on behalf of the Roman Empire. And then there's also that bit, because this is how tax collectors operated in the first century of the Roman Empire. The bit he collected for himself was often over and above the excessive amount that the empire already made due. It was a burden. It was hard. Empire taxes and the process of tax collecting kept poor people poor, and it made sure that at that point in the empire, most people lived at or really just below subsistence level. So Jesus meets this Peter, a Peter whose entire life, Bantam says, is defined by desperate, dependent need. And Jesus fills Peter's nets. And Peter, the scripture says, drops everything to follow him. And and when Peter is with Jesus, Bantam writes, Peter receives a level of certainty that he's never had before. All of a sudden, this extremely poor fisherman has a place. He has a standing. He has an identity. Jesus gives him everything he needs and more. And for Peter, it is just incredible. But immediately after calling Peter, we find in scripture that Jesus takes Peter to the house of that tax collector. Just as Jesus gives Peter a a kind of social clout in the world, Jesus asks Peter to give up that standing to visit someone who has bantam rights, defiled the law, and given up everything that it means to be a Jew. The religious leaders of that time press the disciples and, and they ask them why Jesus chooses to hang out with sinners like tax collectors. And, and you know, 
we find in the scripture that Peter wonders why too. He wants to see himself and his position in that space as so very different from the tax collector, as someone who is righteous, as someone who is special. His identity is tied up in who he is in relationship to Jesus and in not relationship to the tax collector. Then we find the story a little bit later, the story of the, the rich young man who shows up. In this young man who follows the law so well, he says, Jesus sees someone whose possessions make him feel certain that he's entitled to something. And we can look at the scripture and he does feel entitled to something. He, he feels entitled to ask Jesus for eternal life. He feels like he easily belongs here among the disciples and his way of relating to the space that he's in, though, isn't because of his relationships to anyone who is there, but because of his relationship to his things. And Jesus sees that and sends him away saying, go sell your stuff. And the rich young man goes away grieving because he can't imagine that he could possibly be anything without these things. And Peter sees that in that moment. And he's still worrying about, about his own status, his own standing. And he starts to say to Jesus, well, we've left everything behind to follow you. And Jesus offers a response there that sort of questions that. He says, have you left everything behind? I mean, really? What are you holding on to as, as sacred here? What is still tempting you? Peter dropped his nets. He, he jumped out of the boat and, and he didn't look back, but he kept looking at Jesus. When he stopped holding onto his nets so tightly, he started holding onto Jesus in the exact same way. And on face, I think all of us here and, and those of us watching online, we would say this, this isn't a bad thing, right? Hold on to Jesus, the hymns say. Keep your sights on Jesus, the Sunday school coloring sheets tell us. But in today's scripture, Jesus is asking us, what are you actually holding on to? What is Peter holding on to here? You are the Messiah, he tells Jesus. You are the one, the divine king, the, the one who is going to restore Israel, the one who is going to overthrow Rome, the one who will bring flourishing of God's shalom here on earth, the one who cannot be defeated. You are the Messiah, he tells Jesus. You are the one who cannot die. Peter isn't holding on to Jesus. He's holding on to his own expectations of, of who the Messiah is and what the Messiah will do and who he is in relationship with that Messiah. Peter's identity is so deeply entangled with the Messiah that he can't reconcile how he can be anything else if Jesus is anyone else. And Jesus is telling Peter that the things he's holding on to most tightly are the very things he needs to let go of. 
The rich young man's identity was caught up in his things. Peter's identity is caught up in who he thinks the Messiah is supposed to be. It's why when Jesus is arrested, tried, and found guilty, and then killed, Peter has to separate himself to deny his relationship with Jesus. His identity isn't entangled with the Jesus that we know, Jesus the Christ. It's entangled with the mythical Messiah. You see, Jesus invites us to a way of being in the world that holds tightly to the things of God and lets go of everything else. But too often, we find ourselves like the the rich young man or or like Peter or, or even like the Pharisees or the other religious leaders convinced that the things we've wound ourselves around are the things of God. The rich young man thought all that he needed was the commandments. The religious leaders, they, they focused on the laws. The disciples think that they found the Messiah. This Lent, our reflection on, on this scripture in the Gospel of Mark, it's an invitation from Jesus to, to pause and to consider the things we need to let go of in order to follow Jesus the Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah, as the common English Bible says, the human one, the one who turns everything upside down and inside out. Peter felt like he had given up everything to follow Jesus, but, but Jesus told him that, that he was still clinging to something that was not him. And so I wonder, as I am here in this space, in this context today, if you, Central UMC, might find yourself in, in Peter's story. As a congregation, you've chosen to tear down a building and do something else with that property. You've let go of so much in that process. You know, like Peter, it, it might feel like you've, you've really left it all behind to walk this path with Jesus. And, and I want to be very clear, you are walking that path. Make no mistake, you have decided as a congregation that you are going to exist in a way that lives out the idea that you really and truly believe that you are the living, breathing body of Christ moving in the world. This is no, no small thing. Like Peter, you've dropped your nets and you've found your way into the company of the Messiah. And yet I wonder, even in light of all that you have given up, what might you be holding on to right now, clinging to, because you've built your identity around it? What is God calling you to rethink, to let go of, to drop like a net full of fish so that you can find yourself in the company of heaven? Peter's story is a reminder that we can find ourselves so close to God, deeply connected to God through, through a life lived together, and yet still completely miss what God is doing around us, for us, through us, 
because we've mistaken proximity for intimacy. Closeness for the knowledge that only comes when you begin to share the heart and the mind of the other before us. And Jesus tells us that you don't have to be Judas Iscariot to sin in the way that you think that proximity to Jesus is the same as following Jesus. Get behind me, Satan. Jesus admonishes Peter. Come know me, he says. Not the person you want me to be, but who I actually am. This Lenten season, Jesus has offered you, us, me, the invitation to let go. As individual human beings, but also as that collective you that's gathered here in this place. And when you let go of the things you're holding so tightly to, there, there you will find the space to cling ever more tightly to the God who shows us the way to what truly matters. I offer this sermon to you in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen.